Shalom, shalom, shalom. Hey, what's going on? It's Michael Sano. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. I am sitting here with Edith Schlanger. I almost said Edith Ginger. <laughs> um, and we'll get into that. She is a marketing manager by day, an Irish dancer by night, and a volunteer for Healing Teddies. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Closer, please. Sorry. Um, no, it's a pleasure. Um, so how I wound up coming across you is weird. It's totally weird. So one of, he's actually coming on this show. Daniel Siemens coming on this show. Oh, really? And yes. That would be my honor. And I am, yeah, I'm totally blown away by it. Um, I, I, but he's so gracious. He's such a cool guy. So, you know, when you go on Instagram and you put in, like, you look someone up and you find them and it brings up, um, suggestions for other people. You were next in line in the suggestion. So I was like, who is, and it was like this big smile, like super duper smiling. And I had to click on it and I've been following you ever since. And before we go any further, I have one more thing to say about Instagram. So you pop up on my feed every once in a while. At one time you popped up and I said, holy cow, I didn't know she had a sister and she looks just like her. And I took a second and went, holy cow, wait a minute. That's not, it's Tav Shafir. Do you know exactly which picture I'm talking exactly. about? Did anyone else ever say that? Who didn't? Oh, all right. Okay, <laughs> cool. Um, the first thing I did was calling my dad and say, is there anything I should know? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, speaking of your dad and your family, um, where's your family from originally? Right here, Israel. Oh, get out of here. I was born here. Nice. Very nice. Um, and your family... Um, did they come during one of the waves of Aliyah, or were they always here? My both parents were born here. My father was actually born and raised in Tel Aviv. Get out of here. He knows the city better than I. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. All right, so you are a marketing manager. Can Now, when I was looking that up, when I was um, trying to figure out... Uh, <laughs> Because I did research and I wrote a lot of questions. And one of them was, uh, you know, what do you do? And I've, everyone, everyone has heard of marketing managers. But I am, I dare someone to be able to tell us exactly what a marketing manager does. Everyone says we need marketing managers. We have to have a marketing manager. Um, but can you tell us why? What does a marketing manager do? Okay. First, the definition of marketing varies by the organization the marketing manager works as. Okay. Um, what I do in my company and prior positions is mostly the backstage of the, let's say, supporting the sales with marketing. For example, being responsible for all the exhibitions, for wow. the materials you give out in the exhibitions, for social media, for web page for sending Christmas cards or Hanukkah cards to clients. It covers everything. It covers everything, and it really changes by the organization you are at, wow. and by the size, by the industry, 
by do you work with sales or business development or are you on your own? It really varies. There's no gold standard for marketing. So what does a day in your life look like? Hectic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you had chosen this time because you were working up until basically now and it's it's not late in the evening but it is evening so you you pull some pull some tough hours i'd imagine you got me so right (laughs) how did you wind up getting into it where did you go to did did you go to school yes i did i did i actually switched a little bit because i was when i was in the military i was certain i'm going to the foreign affairs office of course to be an ambassador of Israel in the UN or the US or I know, somewhere in Europe to fight uh, anti-Semitism or fight anti-Israel organizations. And I found out throughout the years, also in the military, that um, representing Israel does not necessarily have to be by official position because one of the things that Israel is really good at, surprise, surprise, is innovation. And how will you present this innovation to the world? By marketing. That's what we do. That's excellent. That's awesome. Now, you touched on your time in the military. And one of the things that I saw on your LinkedIn profile was that you worked with Tagli groups, um, birthright groups, um, while you were a member of the IDF. That's true. Um there is every year the IDF soldiers and officers um, take part in birthright groups, like an official part. Like I was in the IDF spokesperson by then, went to birthright twice. And what I try to take the opportunity is to talk to those birthright group uh, members about the bias against Israel in the foreign media. Because I took the opportunity to learn from them because they live this reality, which I don't. I'm surrounded by, you know, local media <laughs> in Hebrew. So we had a really, like, acad- almost academic discussion about how to solve this bias. Do we actually need to solve it? Or how can we improve Israel's image, if at all? Maybe it's not needed. Of course it's needed. That's what we are all <laughs> here for. Well, that's what we're here for. Um, so you worked for the IDF spokespersons unit. Um, that's what you just said, correct? Yeah. Um, uh, you're, I think, the third, maybe fourth person I've met who've worked for that unit. Could you just describe a little bit what that unit does? Wh- how do you get into that unit? Well... I got there because I had an academic degree in international affairs wow. and marketing. So what I try to do there is actually put a little bit of academy methods there, do a long-term research about how we look in the media, uh, how can we look in the media, what can we learn from other case studies, military or non-military, so I really try to bring the academy closer to the IDF spokesperson. Can I ask you, so you've been doing that. Um, you've been actively doing that for a number of years. Like you said, how can you do it? You you know, you thought you would go to an ambassador role, but instead you're doing it through what you do now as a marketing manager. What... 
So I was in the military. So I know the military says go to X and you go to X. Okay. And you, you may have an idea that, sir, what if I go to Y and then go to X? And they say, that's a good idea, Sano, but I still want you to go to X. Forget about Y. I'm sure that while you were with the IDF spokesperson's unit, you may have had ideas on how to better the role that may not have been done. What would be some suggestions? That was a really roundabout way of asking this question. I apologize. (laughs) Um, What are some deficiencies you think in the spokesperson's uh, unit in the public relation, the Israel public relations world? What are some things that you think that they could improve upon? Like you said, should they? Um, but are there any things that you think that uh, Israel could be doing better? Well, there's a differentiation between the IDF spokesperson, which is supposed to represent the IDF only. It's okay. the voice of the official voice of the IDF. And therefore, what it should do is support Israel's, I don't know, combat position, um, let's say, um, operational uh, goals okay. with spokesperson by relating to the media. However, the state of Israel can do much more because the state is something much broader. It could improve Israel's image in terms of tourism, music, culinary, innovation, anything, even the Eurovision Song Contest, uh, in my opinion, helps uh, improving Israel's image and show the world that we're not just uh, military and terror attacks. Okay, cool. No, that's good. Um yeah, I that was a big question to lay on you, and I totally apologize for that. But, but um, you were there, and 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 it's an obvious question based on you know all the all the flack that that Israel gets in the world. A lot of most of it, most of it undeserved, and I I I feel for you having to go through it and having to listen to it and having to defend it when you know it's like. It's like being a kid and your mom's mad at you for breaking the lamp, but you didn't break the lamp. Your brother broke the lamp, and, and but nothing you say because you're that kid who always breaks the lamp, right? You know what I mean? Right. So um, I'm going to ask you a question, and I, I, I want to ask this question because it's a very, very important question. <laughs> your eyes right now. Um. <laughs> You were in the spokesperson's unit. I was in the military. The military can often be incredibly male-dominated in its thinking, in its actions, and in its, its forethought, meaning it has absolutely zero forethought. Um, and I know, because I was in the military a long time ago, that women tended to be an afterthought. It had to be something, oh yeah, we have to do that because there are females in the unit. Do you find, or did you find when you were in the military that it was difficult, more difficult being a soldier, a female soldier than a male soldier? And how did you cope with that? To be honest, I think my personal experience is not necessarily the common experience of uh, women in the IDF because 
my unit in the spokesperson and later on the foreign affairs unit was 50% women. Oh, wow. That's awesome. My commander was a woman. The commander after her was a woman. woman, So I was surrounded by smart, sharp women. And we had, of course, smart, sharp men as well. So my experience does not necessarily reflect um, the challenges. Okay. But called me old, but I think the current generation, the younger ones, are much more aware to gender equality. Um, I believe they have better opportunities uh, also in combat units and in other units where it used to be more manhood atmosphere. But I really think the IDF, like the rest of the world and the rest of the country, there are winds of change. That's excellent. And it includes the military as well. That's so good. Um, that's one of the things that, that gets kind of frustrating for me because Israel um, was one of the first countries to ever have a female prime minister. And whether you like Golda Meir or not, for her policies, I feel like a lot of the things that are said about her are said because she's a woman. You know what I mean? If 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 there were if if the prime minister was a man and made those same mistakes, if they were mistakes, um, would they have been so ready to uh, to to trash her and trash her reputation? And that's why it's it's really awesome to hear that there's a lot changing in Israel, especially for women. Now, you went from the IDF spokesperson's unit. Is that where you got out of the military? I went to the foreign affairs afterwards for three more years. Oh, whoa. Because it was so much Wait, fun. how long were you in the military? Total six years. Eight wow. Years. That is so impressive. I am so impressed. Wow. Good job. Um, go on. I'm done. Please. And what did you do there? The foreign affairs as its name. <laughs> I I get that. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, so in the foreign affair, well, how did that? So you're in the IDF spokesperson's unit, and you're speaking to Israel, correct? You're speaking to the public in Israel about what um, the IDF is doing. That's what the unit is doing, but not just to Israel, but also to the world, because foreign. Um, journalists and foreign reporters are very interested in what's going on in this tiny country in Absolutely, the middle of three yeah. continents. So then what do, were you in the IDF in the Foreign Affairs Office? Or was that two separate things? Yeah. There is, um, let's say, uh, collaboration unit uh, oh, wow. with other armed forces, like the American one and European military forces, I mean, it's no secret that all uh, military forces train with many more military forces in their joint operation. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. I totally missed what she was talking about, and you just totally clarified it. Perfect. Um, So you did that, foreign affairs, and then you got out after six years. Why did you get out? Because my contract was over. Okay. All right. And then you went into the working world and you went into marketing. Yes. Okay. Um, How was that? How was the transition? 
it was shocking because when you're in a let's say governmental organization you don't talk about budget money salary <laughs> revenues <laughs> these were new terms to me that i knew theoretically you know by studies okay relative uh, budget or annual revenues so for me it was a little you know the beginning shock uh, but then i realized how wide the world is outside because when you when you can transit yourself to any kind of organization as you say they all need marketing managers wow like one day you can find yourself dealing with alcoholic drinks and the day after i don't know an academic uh, institute anything holy cow um so where did you start off what was the position you you took right when you got out um it was a position of marketing research Okay. Uh, bringing insights to organizations so can they can support their business development or marketing decisions. Like uh, if, say, a company would like to launch a new product, so maybe they can learn from other companies' experience from the past. How does a campaign look like? How much the product actually cost? Were there any promotions sold? How did they look like? Anything like that. Now, this is important because with all of the brand new companies that are coming out every year, the startup nation, you know, Israel is the startup nation. Do they all take advantage of the resources that marketing um, organizations like the one that you work for, uh, do they all take advantage of those resources or do they try to wing it or how, how, how does it wind up working? Well, it depends on the organization, but I can tell you that many, um, not just Israeli, many organizations think that they don't need an external research because they know where they're at. They have heard or they've experienced. Take, for example, uh, Starbucks. Okay. Starbucks tried to enter the Israeli market about 20 years ago, if I remember correctly. If they ever did a market research, they would have never even tried to make Israelis drink Starbucks coffee. Well, that's that's actually funny because of Aroma, which is huge and now has opened in New York, Aroma Coffee. Um, and how can Starbucks actually compete with Kofix? Never. I don't think so. Um, that's awesome. So, okay, so you started off at the bottom and you continued to work your way up. Exactly. Okay. Um, at what point did you reach a management level position? How many years in? Well, as you say, the managers also depends on the organization size. Mm -hmm. So I used to work mostly for small organizations because I believe that the smaller the organization is, the more change you can make on your own, the more responsibility you have, the more, let's say, maneuver capabilities you have. You can make, you can do more because there's no one else to do that more thing. That's phenomenal. That's so cool. Um, that's exciting. And now you are, as I said, a marketing manager at the company that you have. Being the manager, um, well, before we get into that, how was, and, and I think it's important because your perspective is phenomenal on this. Um, how was, we, we, we were talking about being a woman in the military 
and you didn't have to really deal with uh, too much um, balagan. Uh, <laughs> men balagan? Yes, um, from men. Because there were so there were so many women in your unit, there were so many women in your uh, in your orbit and above you. So, so that's great. That sets a wonderful standard for there. Now you move out of that into the public sector, where the rules can maybe be a little bit looser. Did you deal with any um, discrimination for being a woman once you were in the uh, in 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 the public workplace? Well, unfortunately, I think every woman has ever, ever dealt with, starting from interview, job interview, where they ask uh, who will take care of the children? Do you have children? Why don't you have children? They and ask you that? It's quite forbidden to ask, but they still ask. Wow. Uh, so they ask, like, when your child is sick, who takes care of, or something like that. Um, so I heard it a little bit on job interviews, but I believe that when, oh yeah, and when you're sick, it's like, um, and are you the one who's sick or your child? Well, I don't have children, so it's only me. <laughs> oh my gosh. But I hear it every time my mom faced that when she tried to work her way up in the hospital. My mom's a doctor. Your mom's a doctor. Wow. Yes. Um, I, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that you had to experience that. Um, I think every woman in some stage experienced that, unfortunately, but I can also be positive and say that it also hopefully starts to change. Well, that's one of the reasons I have you here and why I wanted to talk about the subject, because you are a professional woman. You are a woman who is a manager. You are someone who has stature and standing in the business world, in the business community. And by talking about these things and not making them forbidden subjects, or maybe we shouldn't discuss that. Um, I think it's important. And on top of that, we're talking about Israel, and Israel becomes a lot more real. Did not even plan that. Um, when you realize that the issues that we face in the United States and in the West are the same issues that women face here. Um, and I think it's, it's tremendous. And, and I am so thankful that, and, and I hope, I, I really hope I haven't hit on anything that's, that's um, delicate or difficult to deal with no, by asking these questions. Not at all. I think first it's really important that you ask because it's important to raise awareness. It's like the white elephant in the hall that nobody speaks about. But I can tell you that in my current company, it was founded by mostly women, and 50% are women. Uh, so we are quite unique on this industry. That, and yeah. I see more and more sharp, bright women that they cannot be stopped. Now, they one can. of... Oh, I'm sorry, go on. Um, one of the things that I heard um, in a couple of the facts is... Uh, women have 50% of the degrees in Israel. 
So 50% of the degrees that have been given out by universities have gone to women, which is tremendous because it maintains a parity. It maintains an equal balance, I think. Um, and one of the other, uh, one of the other ones was, I think that, uh, well, I can't remember the other one, but that one was important. And is that something that you found when you were in your academic studies, that there were a lot of women not only getting degrees, but in positions of power, not power, but in um, higher positions in within the university? I think it also varies which department and which university unit, but I think there are more and more women researchers, professors, and in high academic positions than before. Even in, um, let's call it, um, fields that were in the past thought to be more men's neighborhood, mm -hmm. computer science, uh, medicine, uh, engineering, there are more and more women, more students, and more professors, which I'm really happy to see. Good. Um, now... That is great because those things are actually happening. Um, but then there is the public, the public consciousness, what the public thinks inside their hearts and inside their heads. And one, and, and it's hilarious uh, that we spoke about Stav Shafir in the beginning. Um, but one of the things in the political discourse um, that's happened over the past couple of years was she was portrayed in in one caricature I saw with pigtails and braces. Here's a woman who is a politician. She's been elected. Um, my question is, if they can do that, make fun of her like that, but regulate it out of the workplace and out of the military, do we still have a long ways to go? Or is this just, because she's in politics? Is this just because she's a public figure? Would people do this in private? Unfortunately, I believe it's not just a matter of politics. I believe there's still a way to go because our society, I think it's the whole world, there is still not full equality. And I heard <laughs> a few days ago, don't ask in a dating website, women forgot to be women. I mean, there is still this, um, let's call it, uh, call for women to get back to where they were, to stop progressing, stop running forward, because it threatens some people. Do you think that that has something to do with the increase in religious population? Or is that something that's part of a broader um, idea? among the population in Israel. And I'm not asking you to speak ill of, trust me, um, I'm not trying to get you in hot water. Um, but do you think that it comes from that demographic more than any other demographic in Israel? I'm not an expert in uh, demography or sociology, but of the world I know, like from my close circle, I wouldn't relate it to religious or conservatism but um it's a slow process and process takes time okay perfect no that's a good answer that's an excellent answer 
Um, all right. If, and this is how we're going to close out this little segment of it. Um, you say that we still have a ways to go. Um, and if you could name one or two things that you would hope would change for the better for women in Israel. I think it's not, not just in Israel. I think in the whole world. I think it's the change could come from the education system. Start like educating our younger generation, those who are still in schools, that women are equal creatures. They're not, as Neta Barzilai said, we're, we're not toys. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. We are not uh, an item to play with. We are human being equal, not just in the matter of rights, but also by being. We have our thoughts on our own. We have wills on our own. We are not one unit that all women are the same. All, all of us love chocolate. No, it's not. Trust me, I don't <laughs> like chocolate. And that um, I think treating girls as equal, that e- having equal opportunities, um, like encouraging women to follow their dreams and not be afraid to express them from the first place, not to tell any girl that it's too difficult, give up already, it's not for you, it's not for women, stick to your small uh, corner. I think that's the key to change from the education, from young age, encouraging women or girls to become bigger. You are incredibly impressive. Thank you so much. All right, now we are going to step off of this subject and you are going to explain to me and to our viewers, how did you get into Irish dancing? Oh, that <laughs> that's a long story. I had a long-term affair with salsa dancers from university. <laughs> and it happens that I, my partner, was, well, by then, went to salsa with me, and he was also my salsa partner. And after we split, I was looking for a type of dance that I can do on my own that does not require a couple. So <laughs> I looked at, uh, I used the elimination method. It left me with hip-hop, with belly dancing, and with <laughs> Irish dancing. Holy cow. There's Irish dancing in Israel? There is. And a few weeks uh, before I, like, a few weeks before, I was in the Lord of the Dance concert in Israel, and I remember them from Eurovision 1994. I was Holy a child. Cow. Then I was like, I think this is the opportunity to start. I think that's what the universe is calling me to do. Because, again, to hit on Instagram, a picture of you in an Irish dancing outfit came up one time, and I just kind of went... I really have no idea what to make of this. Um, Like, there you go. Um, Wow, that is so neat. Now, since you are Jewish, since you are Israeli, um, and in conversations with people who are not from here, when it's come up that you do Irish dance, um, what's that been like? They start laughing. Usually. Are you serious? Or they ask to see a picture of me dressed in green. Or they were like, can you show me? Teach me a few steps. Do you do it? Of course. <sighs> I can teach you right after the show. <laughs> awesome. There's an awesome floor here. Awesome. There really is. Actually, I love this place. This is so great. Um, and so you've been doing it for how long? How long did you say you were doing it for? 
for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and you continue to do it and you were just doing it in Lord of the Dance. Holy cow. That is awesome. And would have never pegged that a nice Jewish girl from Israel would be an Irish dancer. That's so cool. Um, all right. Our last thing that we're going to cover is the teddy bear healing teddies. Now you said, um, that you volunteer for them and tell me a little bit about that and what you do for them. Tell me what they do and then tell me what you do for them. Okay. It's actually a funny story. What they do, they're called healing teddies and they give special teddy bears to hospital patients, not just kids, also adults, cancer patients, Holocaust survivors, elderly, terror attack victims, because the bear comes with a volunteer and it's charged with positive energy. And when the volunteer comes and gives you a bear personally with hugging instructions, you hug the bear three times a day, 10 minutes each, it helps the healing process because it's positive thinking. You think of the volunteer that came and gave you the bear. You think about the softness of the bear and you think about the positive energy. So they help to heal. That's wonderful. Who uh, Can you tell me a little bit about the history of the organization? Of what I know, it was founded by the CEO and founder, Miss Ilana Konstantinovsky, after she lost her mother to cancer. Oh my gosh. And she founded this in order to help cancer patients, but it's ex- expanded to many more kinds of patients. And this teddy bear you see here is the international ambassador. That one right there. This one travels the world, take pictures with celebrities, run uh, Tel Aviv Marathon, participates in Eurovision. He's the one that raises awareness outside of the hospital. So people around the world would know we exist and would support us. Um, so you have volunteered, I'm assuming at times, to be with a patient, correct? What do you mean? So the, the bear goes with the patient and then the patient also has a volunteer that accompanies them with the bear. The volunteers, it's like a commando that uh, come to hospital and give a set of teddy bears. Okay. The patient have the teddy bear for life because every time he... Not the volunteer for life. Not the volunteer. (laughs) Depends. That may also happen (laughs) sometimes. Um, And then the the teddy stays and the volunteer keep doing it in more hospitals and more medical centers. They sometimes come to people's home and they keep uh, the circle of giving, we call it. That's perfect. Um, You also said that you do marketing for the organization. What exactly do you do in that role? Um, First, running the page in English because it's expanding beyond Israeli hospitals. In in my biggest dreams, I would like to have Healing Teddy's Commando all over the world in every medical center or everywhere the patient who need teddy bears. We're going to give you an opportunity um, to get the word out about healing teddies. Um, one last thing, and if it's not too personal, I would love, absolutely love, if you could tell us a moving story from your experiences doing this. From the healing teddies volunteer? Yes. To be honest with you, I am 
less visiting patients in hospitals, but I have been visiting a Holocaust survivor and gave him a teddy bear. And I, I gave a teddy bear to my mother that gave it to a cancer patient she knew personally. Oh my so my mom did uh, the good thing before me. She got the instructions for me what to do, and she gave it to a cancer patient in, uh, she met at the synagogue. So she was the one. Uh, it brings you into tears after you give, and you feel like so much bet- better on one hand because you did something good, but like flooded. You got to make it a part of your family, though, which is phenomenal. And if you could say, even more beautiful. Um, that's that's awesome. That is wonderful. Um, is there anything you, else you'd like to say about the organization? Well, I would take this opportunity and, of course, introduce the organization and ask to support us at uh, healingteddies.org.il. Uh, we're also on JGive, and we always are happy for volunteers to come join us and happy to um, get support because then more Teddish would come to more patients. Perfect. Um, all right, so I'm going to put, I'm going to get with Edith, and she's going to give me all the information, and I am going to put it in the description of the YouTube version of this. Um is there anything else that you'd like to bring up? Any events? Any anything? It's your moment. Well, be- beside for the fact that I am single and my mom would be happy <laughs> to get me a match. <laughs> we'll work on it, okay? We'll work on it. Um, if you want, I can put that in the description too. No, I won't do that to you. Um, but Edith, it has been a pleasure and thank you so much from all of us at 12 Cities in Israel to you and to all of you. Um, Thank you for inviting me. Of course. It's my honor. Of course. That's it. Toda Leitrot ve. Yalla bye. Love